A few weeks ago, we started a sermon series called How Firm a Foundation. The goal of the series is to unpack a biblical truth, a foundational truth found in God's word that results in what we call a biblical worldview. Remember, we talked about a worldview simply being the framework, the lens by which you see all of life, helps you to make sense of life. And as I established a few weeks ago, it's not a matter of whether you have a worldview or not. The question is, what is informing it? Is it being informed by the infallible word of the living God? This morning, we unpack the foundational truth of the doctrine of sin, everyone's favorite topic. Now, some of you are saying, bring back the real optimistic guy from last week. We like to hear about, him, about where the, what's happening in the world and the gospel spreading, but sin... But I want to challenge you this morning that until you have an understanding of the biblical doctrine of sin and the fall of humanity, you will never be able to navigate this life and navigate the affairs of this world without the firm foundation of the Bible's teaching of sin and the fall of humanity. Nothing in this world and nothing in your life will ever begin to make sense. We're looking at Romans chapter 3. This morning, verses 9 through 20, theologians have said that Romans chapter 3 is the most poignant description in all of Scripture of what is wrong with humanity because it reveals what is wrong with the world and ultimately what is wrong with us. Romans chapter 3, the foundational truth of sin and the fall of humanity. Beginning in verse 9, Paul writes, What then? Are we Jews any better off? No, not at all. For we have already charged that all, both Jews and Greeks, are under sin. As it is written, none is righteous, no, not one. No one understands, no one seeks for God. All have turned aside and together they've become worthless. No one does good, not even one. Their throat is an open grave. They use their tongues to deceive. The venom of apps is under their lips. Their mouth is full of curse and bitterness. Their feet are swift to shed blood and paths are ruin and misery. The way of peace they have not known. There's no fear of God before their eyes. Now we know that whatever the law says, it speaks to those who are under the law so that every mouth might be stopped and the whole world might be held accountable to God. For by works of the law, no human being will be justified in his sight, since through the law comes the knowledge of sin, and the grass withers, and the flower fades, but the word of our Lord, it stands forever. Amen. Do you know the truth about yourself? I mean, honestly, do you understand who you are? To not have an accurate self-assessment and understanding of who you are can do a lot of damage, first to yourself and then to those that are around you. It's a great danger to be blind about who we truly are, as the scriptures tell us. Accurate self-knowledge matters. We need to know who we are. Just ask educators in North America right now that are seeing the fallout from the self-esteem movement. 
One leading national educator, Michelle Ray, said this, one day I noticed that my daughter's rooms are full of soccer trophies, but my daughter's never won a soccer championship. But her room is flooded with trophies, Uh, leading her to believe that she's won something that she's never actually won, achieving something that she's never truly achieved. Michelle Ray goes on to say, we're so obsessed in our culture with making kids feel good about themselves, we've lost sight of giving them skills so that they actually can be good at something. Giving children the wrong impression of who they are can do a lot of damage. Well, Romans chapter three does quite the opposite. Instead of telling us what we think we, who we think we are, instead of it telling us what we want it to tell us about ourselves, Romans three gives us an accurate portrayal of who we are as human beings. It actually exposes us to the truth of who we are. And Paul does it through the biblical teaching of sin. I want us to look at three things briefly this morning concerning sin. One, the problem of sin. Second, the effects of sin. And third and lastly, the only remedy for sin. The first thing we need to understand concerning the biblical doctrine of sin is one, its problem. The problem of sin as it is revealed here in Romans chapter three tells us that sin is no small problem. But instead, he says it is a global problem. Romans chapter 3 speaks to the universality of sin. And unfortunately, most pulpits in North America are silent on the doctrine of sin. Fear of offending someone. But we need to understand the truth of sin and the truth of who we are. And what Paul says is rather indicting. Notice in verse 9... He asked the question to his, to those that are listening and receiving this message, Jewish Christians living in Rome, and he says, are Jews and Gentiles any different? He says in verse 9, are we Jews any better off? And he says that both Jews and Greeks are under sin. Now understand what Paul is doing here. To a first century Jew, to be compared with a Gentile is of the highest offense. The Jews were raised in a culture where they understood that they were the religious, that they were the pure. The Gentiles, the Greeks, they were the irreligious, the impure, the pagans. And what Paul is doing here is he's leveling the, the, he's leveling the playing floor here. And he's saying that, no, we all stand under one standard. That is the standard of God. And because God's standard is perfection, we all stand under that judgment. And so what he's doing here is he's saying sin is a problem that is universal It is global in nature. All fall under the problem of sin. And he says, uses that word under sin for a reason. To be under anything means you feel the burden of it. You feel the, it's, it has power over you. And so what Paul is saying is not only are all of us guilty of sin, we are all under the power, Jew and Gentile, religious and irreligious, the morally upright and the moral train wrecks are all under sin. It is the great equalizer. Paul wants us to understand the depth of the problem of sin. 
It's interesting, John Calvin would often say, when we gaze out into the world, we don't think sin is that bad. But when we fix our gaze upon God as Isaiah did in Isaiah chapter six, we become undone. You see, the problem of sin reveals to us that the problem is not fundamentally out there, but it's in here. See, what the global problem of sin and the doctrine of sin in Romans three teaches us is that we can no longer say those people because you are those people all under the curse of sin. In the last few years, our society has heard the phrase or the word systemic. And it's been an attempt by our culture and our society to find the root of the problem of our society, to find the problem of our culture right now. And we've heard about all of the systemic sins of our history, all of the systemic sins of our society and our nation and our culture. And I'm here to say, based on the biblical doctrine here in Romans chapter three, that I do believe that there is a systemic problem in America, but it's not what the media tells you. The systemic problem in America is called sin. And it didn't start in 1619, but it started in Genesis chapter three at the fall. And until we understand the systemic nature of sin and this being the root of all evils, we'll never truly understand the problem or the brokenness of this world. It is a global problem, the problem of sin. But the second thing I want you to see in Romans chapter three is not only the universal nature of sin, but Paul unpacks for us in verses 10 through 18, the effects of this sin. He says in verse 10, what is sin done? He says in verse 10, no one is righteous. No, not one. What he's describing is because we have been separated from God because of our sin, that nobody has the power within them to produce a righteousness that would allow us to be justified, that would allow us to be declared not guilty, that would allow us to enter the presence of God. No one is righteous, no, not one. It's what the theologians have called total depravity. The fall of humanity has affected us to our core, the very core of our being. And what Paul describes in verses 10 through 18 is that our minds and our hearts and our wills and our body is in bondage to sin, infected by sin, and corrupted by sin. Now, most Christians in the church would say yes and amen. Where Christians have disagreed for centuries is the degree of that corruption, the degree of that bondage. In fact, the reformers debated it with Luther and Calvin, debated the nature of depravity. But even hundreds of years before that, we had individuals in the church by the name of Pelagius and Augustine that debated the degree of our corruption. But Paul settles it once and for all for us that the creature is not morally able to accomplish any of the moral commands of God because sin has 
corrupted us to our core. Not only does verse 10 tell us that we are not righteous, no, not one, but in verses 11, 12, and 13, it unpacks it further that no one understands God, that we do not seek God. And this really is the tragedy of sin. Because in the garden, we have been created to have community with God. We have been created to experience the favor and the face of God. We have been created to be in the presence of God and to dwell with him forever. And now the Bible tells us that because of sin, we are not only removed from the presence of God, but we're no longer even seeking it. Instead of seeking the glory of God and experiencing communion with him, we are now seeking the glory of ourselves running from God, not seeking his face. You see, sin is not just doing bad things, but beneath the surface, it's the self-deification that we wanna be our own gods, that we wanna be our own masters, that we wanna be sovereign, and that we're incapable of seeking, loving, and choosing God because our entire being has been Corrupted. Now you might say, I know a lot of people, pastor, that do good things and say good things and they're not Christians, sure. That's what we call common grace. But the question is, can they say something and do something that would actually qualify them to have a righteousness of their own that would make them morally acceptable to God? And the scriptures tell us absolutely not because even the good things that people do and the good things that people say that are not Christians, the question is always what is motivating them? And Paul says there could only be one thing motivating them and it is their own self. It is their own glory. So even the good things that non-Christians do are morally corrupted to the core. Listen, there is so much to unpack about how sin affects all things. And may I commend to you one book in particular that has been so helpful in understanding how the biblical doctrine of sin helps inform a biblical worldview and really helps to spell out all of its implications. And the book is written by PCA pastor Philip Riken, who currently is serving as the president of Wheaton College. And it's a small book called Christian Worldview, A Student's Guide. And I not only want to commend that book, but the chapter called Paradise Lost, in my opinion, is one of the best summaries of how sin and the fall of humanity has corrupted humanity and the world and how we see the brokenness and its manifestation in the world every day. So Christian Worldview by Phil Riken. But as I was preparing the sermon, I just wanted to give you some practical applications concerning the effects of sin and why it's important that we have a biblical worldview that is informed by what Paul is talking about here in Romans chapter three. Here's one of them. Without the biblical doctrine of sin, we will never be able to make sense of what's happening in the world. You turn on the TV and if it's Ukraine or what's happening here at home, you will never be able to make sense of world events. You will never be able to make sense of why would humanity be so atrocious to one another? Why would, why would humanity commit these types of crimes? How could humanity be so evil Without the biblical doctrine of sin, the affairs of this world, the current events of our culture and society will never be able to make sense to you 
without the biblical doctrine of sin. To be able to make sense of what's happening in the world, we need how the Bible teaches us concerning sin to shape our world and life view. The second is this, we'll never be able to make sense of personal suffering and tragedy. There's not one single person in this room that's immune from suffering and tragedy. But when suffering and tragedy enters into your life, do you have a framework by which you're able to navigate Without the biblical doctrine of sin, tragedy and suffering will never make sense. Why is this happening to me? Why am I going through the valley? Why do I feel like my life is under a dark cloud right now? If there's anything informing your worldview other than the biblical doctrine of sin, that's no way you could survive. The only way you can survive personal tragedy and suffering is to have a biblical doctrine is to understand the biblical doctrine of sin. We'll never be able to understand shame and guilt. Why does our conscience feel burden? Why do we feel like we go through life and we're perpetually feeling guilty and feeling full of shame without understanding what happened in the garden to our first parents, the reason sin entered into the world and they immediately ran in shame to hide from God? Only the biblical doctrine of sin will be able to, we will we be able to make sense of shame and guilt. We'll never be able to make sense of having an identity crisis. Why do we hide? Why do we put on facades? Why do we constantly try to reinvent ourselves and be someone we're not? Once again, goes back to the apron of fig leaves in the garden, trying to cover up our sin, trying to be someone that we're not. We'll never understand identity crisis. We'll never understand relational conflict. Why am I constantly battling other people? Why do I constantly feel like there's tension in my family? Why is there tension with friends and coworkers? Why is there even tension within the church? Because you're sitting next to another sinner. (laughs) That's why. And sin not only affects our vertical relationship to God, but it affects our horizontal relationships with one another. And we will never understand the pain of being estranged from friends and family, the the pain of division until we understand the effects of sin. And lastly, and most importantly, we'll never be able to make sense of the gospel. Why in the world would God send his only begotten son unless he looked upon humanity and saw them absolutely, utterly helpless in their estate of sin and had no other option but then to send his son to save sinners. If we don't have a robust biblical doctrine of sin, God's grace will never be amazing, and his gospel will never make sense to us, and we will lose the potency and the power of the gospel. When Paul says, the gospel is the power unto God for salvation, it's only once we understand how depraved we really are will we understand God's amazing grace? And that leads us to our third and final point, the power of sin, the effects of sin. But if Paul is correct, there is only one remedy for sin. You see, Romans chapter three does not describe sick people. It describes people that are dead. And dead people need a remedy that can't be found inside of themselves. Dead people cannot bring themselves back to life. 
Only the righteousness of Jesus Christ can. And one of the cures that Paul shares with us here in Romans chapter 3 is found in verse 19, and it says, in light of our sinful condition, it says in verse 19 that whatever the law speaks to those who are under the law so that every mouth might be stopped. What is Paul saying there? He says, in view of the law and in view of the high standard of God, the only response should be for you to shut your mouth. That's literally what Paul is saying. In light of a holy God and in light of our moral corruption, the only proper response is to stand before God, a holy, perfect God, and simply shut our mouths because we have no defense that is worthy. In the ancient courtrooms, when the defendant would want to rest his case, he would literally put his hand over his mouth saying, I rest my case. There's nothing for me to say. And in fact, if the defendant kept talking, they would shut his mouth for them uh, by knocking them in the mouth and putting their hands over his mouth. But one way or the other, they shut their mouth. And in light of a holy God, and in light of our sinfulness, we need to remember that the only remedy is coming to the end of ourselves, shutting our mouth because we have no defense other than pointing to the righteousness of Jesus Christ on our behalf. You see, the only way that we can begin a right relationship with God is to recognize that we have no defense and to look to Jesus by faith. You see, the Bible tells us that because of sin, God hands people over. But the good news of the gospel that for those that have faith in Jesus Christ, God handed Jesus over. And then instead of the curse falling upon us, the curse of the law fall upon Jesus Christ. And whoever receives him by faith alone enters into our right relationship with God alone and is justified and forever a child of God. The doctrine of sin tells us the truth about ourselves, that we are a mess until someone loves us. In 2010, outside of Port-au-Prince, earthquake ravaged the city and the surrounding areas. A house fell on a pastor's family. A little girl fell underneath the debris. For days, they could hear her crying, but they couldn't find her. They had rescue teams come out picking up the debris as this house was upon this little girl. But day four turned into day five. And on day five, they could no longer hear the crying. And so as they began to clean up the remaining pieces of debris... All of a sudden, after 24 hours, they heard the voice of the girl again crying out, Daddy, be careful. I'm still under here. And she was rescued. But listen, you are under the house. You are under the house of sin by nature. And just as that little girl could not rescue herself, all she could do was cry out for help. You, by nature, are under the house of sin and could do nothing about it except for our Savior Jesus Christ who came down, who took off the debris 
and put it upon himself. And the doctrine of sin reminds us that it's not your job to get the house off, but you have a savior in Jesus Christ who did the work for you. You have a God, and although you try to clean yourself up, although you try to hide, although you try to produce a righteousness of your own, the doctrine of sin says you can't. But we know the God that can. He's done the heavy lifting for you so that you can forever go home. For 2,000 years, they have called the church the hope of the world. The problem is I have seen a lot of Christians in the last two years that have abandoned that hope. They've tried to entertain other philosophies, other remedies for the brokenness of our world and the brokenness of our culture. And I plead with you and implore you that in the brokenness of our world and the reality of a sin-sick world and sin-sick souls, that we would never deviate from the only hope that this world has ever had, and it is the hope of the gospel of Jesus Christ, that we would be able to declare to the world that I know the world is broken, that I know souls are sick with sin, but we have the only remedy, the message and the hope of Jesus Christ, that we would be a church that would never never deviate from that good news and proclaim it till we're blue in the face and say, we have the hope, the hope of the world, the hope of salvation, the hope for sin-sick souls and a broken world. May we answer that call yet again in our generation and be that light in the midst of darkness.